Hello, Radio Verulam. Mr. Pettit here from Verulam School, starting a brand new history podcast series for our local radio station. I'm going to be providing some local stories from St. Albans that link into broader narratives and events of British history. Some of the podcasts are written and delivered by boys from Verulam School. I wanted to give some of my boys this opportunity so they can share some stories with the local community, but also have a chance to explore their local history. This week, Henry, Henry and Rowan, three year eights from Verulam, are commemorating soldiers that fell in World War I for Remembrance Day, introducing a local St Albans boy who fought in the war. On Remembrance Day, we would like to pay tribute to the many people that died during World War I. We thought we should recognise a local hero of St Albans. One local man who fought and defended Britain was a soldier named Herbert Hiskin. He was a Lance Corporal of the 8th Bedfordshire Regiment. He was born in 1897 and led a good life growing up on Hatfield Road. He was born into a religious family and was a Baptist. His mother and father were called William Henry and Emma Hiskett. He was the youngest of four. His dad was a shoemaker and a leather worker in the comfort of their own home. He was educated at Hatfield Road School and later on at St Albans Grammar School and like the rest of his family attended the Tabernacle Baptist Church on Victoria Street. Inside the church was the Great War Memorial in the form of a plaque containing 11 names, including Herbert Hiskett. Many changes have been made to the school Herbert attended. Hatfield Road Boys School was situated on the grounds of St Albans City School. Until recently, the only surviving part of the school was the Pemberton Block, which was built as an extension in 1883. His regiment, 8th Bedfordshire, was formed specifically for the duration of the war. It was raised at Bedford in October 1914 as part of K3, Lord Kitchener's call to arms for another 100,000 men to leave their civilian life and then list into the expanding British Army. Other than a brief spell in Brighton, most of their training was undertaken in Surrey. They earned the nickname of the Hungry Eighth because of their impressive performances on the battlefield. At 11pm on 28th of August 1915, the battalion boarded the troop train at Chobham Station and left for Dover. They arrived at Boulogne in France early on the 30th of August 1915. He fought in the Battle of Arras in 1917, which saw a good deal of fighting. He contributed massively by going over the trenches four times. Him going over meant a lot, because it was the biggest trench advance since trench warfare begun. Going over means climb over the trenches or go over them. The Battle of Arras had many casualties, about 160,000 for the Allies and 125,000 for the Germans. Arras was chosen because there was a secret military bases already set up there. The bases were planning a large-scale offensive on the German line. The battle was a huge one, bringing together five continents. Over six months, men dug over 13 miles of tunnels underneath Arras to house the men that had been called into battle. On Monday, the 19th of April, 1917, at 5.30 in the morning, 20,000 Allies sprang a surprise attack from the depths of the tunnels. It was a guaranteed surprise offence where they stormed the German trenches. It was the greatest surprise attack of World War I. The tunnels were named the Wellington Quarry. This reference to the capital of New Zealand was because the tunnels were mainly dug by New Zealanders. The quarry has now been transformed into a memorial in remembrance of the battle and the soldiers who fought in it. It shows the way of the soldiers lived before entering the battle. They named the rooms of the quarry after the towns and cities of their homeland back in New Zealand 12,000 miles away. 
From 1914, the Germans had occupied Vimy Ridge. All attempts to capture it had been in vain until a few Canadian regiments succeeded in April 1917 from the 9th to the 12th, but it came at a great price. More than 10,000 Allied soldiers were killed or wounded. They weren't the only soldiers that died, though. Many more were killed in other battles. World War I started because Serbian Gavrilo Princip killed Austrian Franz Ferdinand, who was the Archduke of Austria-Hungary. This propelled the European military powers towards war. By 1914, the six major powers formed into two groups. Britain, France and Russia formed the Triple Entente, while Germany, Austria-Hungary and Italy comprised the Triple Alliance. As the war progressed, further acts of aggression drew other countries, including the United States in 1917, into a conflict. But by the end of 1914, the fighting had grounded a hole. Both sides dug trenches to defend their positions. This new battleground was called the Western Front. Life in the trenches was wet, cold and miserable. Soldiers had little sleep, often became very bored and were always under threat from attack. Almost as bad were the smells of mud, toilet buckets and the rotting bodies of dead soldiers. The area between the two sides of the trenches, known as No Man's Land, was a grim and ghostly place that was littered with dead bodies. No Man's Land was usually about 500 metres wide, but in some areas just 50 metres separated the sides. Trenches were dug in zigzag patterns. This made them harder for enemy soldiers to charge down in raids. They also regularly got flooded by rainwater. There were three lines of trenches, the front line and the support and reserve trenches, with supplies and soldiers to support the front line. Each soldier spent one week at a time on the front line. Then he returned to the reserve trenches for rest and work duties. By the end of the war, in 1918, over 32,000 kilometres of trenches zigzagged across the Western Front. The British and German armies had the largest navies in the world. As the war continued, they battled for control of the oceans. From the start of the war, British warships patrolled the North Sea, stopping supply ships from reaching German ports. The biggest, fastest and most powerful ships of the war were called dreadnoughts. They had 10 12-inch artillery guns mounted on rotating turrets. Ships' guns picked up targets from over 25 kilometres away. The Battle of Jutland ended in a draw. The Germans sank more ships, but were eventually forced to retreat. They never challenged the British fleet again. The British and German navies raced to expand their fleet even further. They built powerful 10-gun dreadnoughts, speedy battle cruisers, and smaller destroyers for protecting merchant vessels. On Remembrance Day, we know you want to hear what happened to Herbert Hiskett. And we thought we would tell you. On the 21st of July, 1917, he climbed out of the trenches to get rations for his company. He was killed by shellfire. When he died, a few of his fellow soldiers wrote letters to his family. Captain A.W. Willett, the chief officer of Herbert Hiskett, in a letter to his mother, wrote, Long before you receive this note, you will have had news of your son's death. For a long time now, he has been company clerk. And the night that he was killed, he went down to meet the rations. When the rations arrived, they said they had never seen him, and nothing was heard of him until the next morning, when a company in support telephoned up that they had found his body. From examination of the body, it is almost certain that he was killed by shellfire, and they think that the death must have been instantaneous. Your son was very popular with company headquarters, and this death was a great shock to us. He was always cheery and willing to help. He was a very capable clerk, 
and all the little things he used to assist me in each day are consistently reminding me of him. The officers and men all join me in offering you our sympathy in your great bereavement. Company Quartermaster Sergeant W. Packer said he had great confidence in Herbert as he was always willing, never faint-hearted, and with a cheery smile on his face, he went to go collect rations for his company. His body had been recovered and is buried near Lou, and the battalion will put a cross upon his grave. Today he is buried in a cemetery in Calais. Herbert's story represents the sheer number of soldiers that gave up their future to create ours that we live in so peacefully today. What an absolute fantastic story, boys. Thank you so much for that act of commemoration, especially on... Thank you so much there to the pupils of Verulam School, and you can hear that again tomorrow morning on Good Morning St Albans. Right now on Radio Verulam, it's time for us to go over to the Cenotaph in central London.